This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Hello, and welcome to this Nursing World Shared Practice Forum. My name is Sarah Gibbons, and I'm the Senior Director for Clinical Education, Informatics, Quality and Practice, and the Chief Nursing Informatics Officer at Boston Children's Hospital. Today, I am very pleased to introduce Ashley Renault. Ashley is currently a Professional Development Specialist for Quality and Professional Practice. She has been a member of the Boston Children's Community for 11 years, working in various roles focusing on quality improvement for the majority of the time. She has a dedication to safety and a passion for improving outcomes for patients. Getting involved in the Red Zone Initiative was a natural fit given her experience in implementing multidisciplinary quality improvement initiatives in previous roles. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about the Red Zone. What is it? Sure. Red Zone is a distraction-free practice that occurs during high alert activities that's really aimed to mitigate risk and decrease adverse events. So we truly try and utilize it for small activities where you can get easily distracted and make sure that we're providing safe care whenever possible. Red Zone is used for preparing medications, administering medications, but it also could be used for obtaining heights and weights um, in an inventory setting. And what are the benefits to patient safety that you see with this? So it really decreases errors and events, but also it is a really great tool for empowerment for staff to be able to speak up for safety and really utilize our um, guiding principles that we have for um, creating a work environment with effective communication. So tell me more about the history of the Red Zone and how it was implemented at Boston Children's. Sure. So back in 2010, the cardiovascular intensive care unit had seen an increase in the amount of medication administration errors um, within their unit. And they tried to figure out a way to um, sort of decrease those errors. And they thought bringing in distraction-free practice would be a, a great place to start. So they implement, they sort of were the pioneers at Children's to take this um, sort of evolution of this practice and bring it into their unit. And once they did that, they saw about an 80% um, decrease in the amount of medication events that they had. And so it really started to show proof of concept. And they were actually seeing decreases in the amount of errors that were reaching the patient. So once that started to take effect, they started to implement it in other units as well, based on how they developed their process. And from there, it sort of um, caught on and was implemented across the rest of the inpatient areas up until 2016, where it started to move towards the ambulatory areas and other aspects of the hospital. So tell me more about how Boston Children's has used Red Zone. How is it best used? So it's really dependent on the area that you're using it. In the inpatient areas, medication preparation and administration really seem to be the strongest um, benefit for distraction-free practice, but also during communication handoffs was really a benefit to the inpatient areas as well. As we started to move into the ambulatory areas, um, heights and weights um, was something that was a really big benefit because that occurs almost multiple times for um, a large amount of patients, and they're really starting to see some errors there. So we try and target based on where the red zone is being implemented and seeing what's going to have the highest impact and return on investment for the practice that you're utilizing it for. Tell me more about the implementation and inpatient. I'm interested in that. So um, it was quite the robust um, process that was in place. So one of the things is they created an ambassador group on each of the floors. 
And that really was sort of your super users, if you want to call them that, um, for the implementation on the area. So they were the people that were visible that really helped um, to get the implementation running on all the different areas. And they thought about how it was going to be best used and implemented across um, their particular unit. There was also a big push on patient and family education. Um, there was something included in all the admission packets. So it was made aware that this is a practice that is implemented on the inpatient area. If they see the signage, they know what to do. There was also a lot of materials used to sort of alert people that they were in the distraction-free zone. So we had floor decals that we placed in areas that we wanted to create distraction-free zones, such as our Pixis machine where you um, get and prepare medications. There was also actual laminated signs that would go um, in areas as well, such as the medication room. And then there was also badges created. So if someone was standing in an area that doesn't, didn't necessarily have um, a sign or a decal, or you just wanted to really make the point that you were in the, in the zone, a badge you could throw over your shoulder. So if someone tried to approach you from behind, they would see that symbol and know that you're in the zone. Let's stop here and share with the viewers how Red Zone is currently used in the inpatient setting at Boston Children's Hospital. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Jen. I'm going to be taking care of Jackson today. How are you guys? We're good. Good. I'm just going to take a few minutes to double check some of her medications. So I'll be in the red zone and distraction free time, but I'll let you know as soon as I'm done to answer any questions, okay? All right, great. Jen, did she get her dyro last night? Oh, you know what? I'm just still in the middle of checking some of her medications and distraction free time. I'm happy to answer that question as soon as I'm done, though, okay? Thank you. Thanks. Jen, did she pee enough last night? You know, I just don't want to make any mistakes with checking her medications. So just for Jackson's safety, I need to focus on distraction-free time for just a few minutes. Absolutely sorry. Thank you so much for understanding. All right. Great. Looks like all of her drips look good. I'm also at distraction-free time, so I can answer any of your questions. What were you asking about? Did she get her diarrheal dose last night? She did. She got her diarrheal by 8 o'clock, and she had a really good response from it. And how much did she pee? She was negative about 140 overall, so that's great. We're really happy with how much she's making urine. Thank you very much. And why was having decals in front of the Pixis so important? Because that's one of the areas where you can really get distracted and have a huge um, possibility for errors. So it really sort of, if someone was approaching the Pixis could, and you were standing there, they could see that you were in the zone based on the fact that you were standing on this floor decal. And what's happening at the Pixis that makes it so risky? Just your medication preparation. So you're you're getting medications out for the patients, and you really need to be able to contribute to more to make sure a you're taking the medication out for the right patient. You're taking out the right dose. Um, it's the right time to be taking out that medication. Really looking at your five rights of the patient. Let's stop here and share with the viewers how Red Zone is currently used during medication preparation. Jen, how are you? I'm totally dying to see you because I wanted to show you pictures from the weekend. Oh. They came out awesome. I would love to see them, Vicki. I'm just in the middle of the red zone right now getting out some meds. Can I catch you a break? Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Thank you so much.
Ashley, you mentioned handoffs as being an important place where red zone can be used. Tell me more about that. Why is it so important and how is it used? So handoffs are really a time where you're you're getting critical information. If you're if you're the physician or the nurse coming on to your oncoming shift, you're getting all the key pieces of information to be able to safely take care of the patient. So it's really a time that you don't want to be having a lot of interruptions or distractions. So that way the person giving you the report doesn't lose their place and forget to tell you a really key piece of information, but also so you can really actively listen to what the other person is saying. So a lot of times um, you'll have consulting services coming on and they're trying to plan for their day, but it's really important that we give people the tools and the communications to be able to say, no, I'm in a distraction-free zone. This is really critical to patient safety. And for being high reliable, I want to make sure that I'm getting the information that I need. It seems like handoff might be a really busy time on a unit. How does one maintain a red zone in that type of environment? That's a great question. So I think ha- sort of having the expectation of friends, so communicating when patients and families get admitted to the um, to the unit, really saying from the get-go that we have this certain time during the day where we do our handoff peer-to-peer, and this is a time that we ask that there's uninterrupted and distracted-free practice. I know in some areas they make an announcement when it um, it's time to do handoff, so people, if maybe they didn't hear it during admission, they're getting it at the time saying this is our distraction-free practice, but really constantly communicating so people understand that this is really important for patient safety. Let's stop here and share with the viewers how Red Zone is currently used during patient handoff. Baby Boy Smith is a three-month-old, three-kilo patient who came in on Monday for an ASD repair with Dr. Imani. He did very well postoperatively. I just need to get ready for rounds. Can you tell me how Baby Boy Smith's night was? We're actually in the middle of Red Zone for nursing report. Do you mind coming back in just a few minutes? What's Red Zone? The Red Zone allows for distraction-free time for us to exchange important patient information so we don't forget anything if we're interrupted. Uh, Okay, sorry for interrupting. I'll come back when you're done. Thank you so much. So as I was saying, he did very well on Monday um, and is now ready for the floor. You mentioned the ambassadors and the inpatient and the cheerleaders, as you called them, in ambulatory. Why are those people so important to the success of this? So I think ambassadors really play an important role because they're sort of the positive reinforcers of this is an initiative that's important. I think when you have people that really buy into it and that can really um, get people motivated to be involved, I think you have a much better sense of success. And they're very aware of the practices and the principles, and they can really help educate and promote it um, across all the different shifts and areas within their unit. And how do units know how well they're doing with Red Zone. The previous group had created dashboards that looked at uh, medication events over a period of time. So they were able to track those medication events to see the trends and how distraction-free practice was really affecting that. Interesting. Tell me more about ambulatory and heights and weights. How does that become a distraction zone? You tend to have the families or the parents present while you're doing a height and weight on a child. And oftentimes, because we do things in kilos, which is different from how they um, get their weights, you're used to seeing things in pounds. So oftentimes, while you're providing the height and weight, the parents are asking, okay, so what's that in pounds? And so you're easily, so they tend to interrupt and ask you a lot of questions, or they're trying to figure out, you know, what's my visit going to look like? Where am I going to go to next? How long am I going to wait? So there's all these pressing questions. They have a body in front of them, and they want to utilize that body to try and get their information. And why are heights and weights so important in pediatric care? Because a lot of our medications are dosed off of height and weights, and we utilize um, it for all sorts of different um, adjustments that we make. And so it's it, we look at a nutritional status based on their height and weights, um, medications that we use to sedate patients and procedures. Um, we also utilize it just to dose 
whatever medications they're on chronically for their um, for their disease. So it can make a really huge impact if you don't document that correctly or don't obtain it correctly. We would now like to turn to our audience and ask a question. In your response, please leave your city and country location. The question is, what distraction-free practices are you using in your institution, and where are you using them? We've talked a lot about where it's a good fit, so medication administration and heights and weights. Tell me about places where maybe red zone wouldn't be a good fit. So if you're going to be in a procedure for two hours doing something, um, that is really not the place where we're trying to implement distraction. For, I mean, obviously you want to pay attention and, and provide safe care, but that's not really the point of what we're trying to accomplish. It's these short activities that you don't really think about where distractions can come into play, that you want to really focus your five minutes that you need to perform a task and make sure that no one's coming up to you and um, trying to interrupt you during those times. You became involved in the Red Zone Project in 2016. Tell me about how you got started with it. Sure. So I actually started my current role in 2016. And as soon as I came on, um, it was something I was really interested in. I knew about it um, from previous roles, and it just seemed to to be a natural fit with what I had been working on previously. So I really sort of jumped right in and um, wanted to take this to spread it to the rest of the hospital because currently it, it had only been in the inpatient areas. And we saw a need for the ambulatory areas to really utilize this practice in a, in a unique and um, different way than how the inpatient areas were utilizing it. Tell me more about that. What did you do in ambulatory? There had been um, a a few events related to height and weights in the ambulatory area. And we saw a need there that maybe this practice could be utilized with clinical assistants um, to be who are obtaining a lot of the height and weights to see if we could decrease the amount of distractions. Um, it, it sort of was overwhelming at first because a lot of the interactions are with families and it's how do you, you know, really bring this practice into the, the family environment and really getting them to understand the concept. But pretty soon we realized that with a little bit of education, a little bit of, um, coaching clinical assistants on how to communicate that they were in the red zone, that you could really see an impact that it was going to be making. And what steps did you take to operationalize red zone and ambulatory? I'm guessing it's not the same as it would be an inpatient. Yeah, it is a little different because it's um, a it's very multidisciplinary because of the amount of um, different disciplines that actually sit in the ambulatory clinics. And it's not just nurses that are utilizing this practice. So clinical assistants, um, allergy techs, all sorts of different people that are in the clinic are utilizing this. And plus, there's so much interaction between the administrative staff with the clinical staff and also the patient experience representatives. There really had to be a thoughtful approach to how we um, educate and really look at this and what we do. So it was, we tried to get champions from all the different disciplines to really build a team that could help um, be the champions, or, or I like to call the cheerleaders, the positive reinforcers of that. This is a really important safety initiative. Um, and we took that and tried to do education and collect some information um, before we actually went live to see and measure the success. Because a lot of the um, pre previously the data we would use would not apply for how we could measure success in this area. Tell me more about working with clinical assistants. You mentioned them a couple of times. So this was an interesting group because it's someone that um, I don't think was as familiar with the practice as other clinicians were in the institution. Um, and one of the things that we often found with them is their apprehension with telling families to that they needed to, um, not, not to be distracted. So we really spent a lot of time working with them and giving them the toolkit to have 
pocket responses that they could utilize with families to help empower them to have that conversation, but also with other disciplines as well, because they may feel a little bit like, you know, you know, we're trying to get these patients out. So I don't want to be able to tell the doctor that I can't, you know, have them talk to me at this moment in time. So giving them things like, you know, please give me X amount of minutes to do this task, or do you have any questions now for me? Because I'm about to do something that's going to require me to have uninterrupted time. Mm-hmm. So giving them sort of blanket statements that they could utilize, I think was a, a much more successful toolkit to use. So they they felt like they had the right words to say that weren't going to be offensive or um, cause any issues with communication. So I've heard that you have a fabulous education sheet for patients and families. Tell me about the evolution of that material. When we um, started working on this project and looked at the education sheet that was currently um, in place for families, it was very wordy. And given that we're in an ambulatory setting, you have a high volume of international and non-English speaking patients. It's We needed something that could be a tool that if we didn't have a chance to verbally with a with an interpreter, be able to educate them. There'd be something that they could visually look at that would sort of clue them into what was going on and what we were doing. So we tried to really take words and make them more pictures to um, alert them that this is going to be a distraction-free zone. So I've heard that there's been some great success in the gastroenterology clinic. Tell me more about that. This clinic actually had a really good um, showcase of about some of the culture changes that we wanted to see with implementing this distraction-free practice. So. Part of our practice that we have for implementation is we take a survey of the um, of the distraction environment pre-implementation, and then six months after implementing, we resurvey them to see if the environment has changed. And the GI clinic um, really had some success in showing some um, small incremental changes in their culture. So we asked about how often you get distracted or interrupted during a patient interaction. And before we got started, it was really most of the time or always seemed to be 50% of their answers. But after six months of implementation, that number dropped about 15% of always or never really bucketed into the sum of the time. So, I mean, it's not a huge change, but it's enough to show that we're making small incremental changes with the culture itself. But there's also one of the things that we asked is about um, it being interrupted by a colleague, because this is something we felt was really important to understand of how often are the peers that you're working with provide interrupting you. We didn't know if it was mainly the patients and the families or it's really the colleagues. And before implementation, there was about 30% of staff that they said they get interrupted by a colleague 30% of the time. But six months afterwards, we dropped that number to 7%. And it was, we even had saw an increase in the amount of never getting distracted by a colleague. Um, so, and to further sort of speak about that, we also asked, did you actually ask them not to interrupt you? And um, before it was about 50% never said, said they never asked them to not interrupt them. So it's hard to look at the, when someone's interrupting you, if you're not asking them not to interrupt you, you're going to continue to see interruptions. But um, post-implementation, we really saw a market increase in the amount of always or most of the time people asking their colleagues not to interrupt them at all. Um, so it's been interesting. And Afterwards, we also asked about their whether or not they're being respected when they asked um, them not to interrupt them, and that number increased post-implementation. So small increments, but definitely starting to see in a six-month period of time, which I think is, is pretty exciting to see culture change, and that we all know that takes a long period of time. So small, small incremental changes, but we're getting there. That's really impressive. What, what do you attribute the, uh, the culture changes there to? 
I think they had great buy-in from their physicians and they had a really good physician champion that um, partnered with um, the other disciplines to really support this. I think there was a lot of um, marketing, so to speak, and really getting the word out there that this is important. But I also think um, it was a lot of work with coaching the clinical assistants on their communication and what they're utilizing it for. So I think that helped extremely well. And the clinical assistant who was working there at the time is one of the most charismatic people you'll ever meet. I think that was a huge factor as well, because he really uh, had a great working relationship with the physicians. And I think that was a huge aspect to making this a success. What were some of the challenges of implementation and how did you overcome them? So I think one of the biggest challenges is just the, the mere volume of patients that are seen on a daily basis. They're extremely busy clinics and you're really trying to, you know, get them in and out because that all plays into the patient experience and the throughput. And I think that sometimes creates a challenge with having people say, no, stop, I need to have five minutes to be able to finish this task in an uninterrupted time. Um, so I, I think that played a big part in terms of, you know, really getting more of a buy-in than we already did. Um, but some of the other challenges are in these, we're a teaching hospital and we get a lot of residents and fellows and they're not consistently in the clinic. So that creates a challenge in terms of keeping the momentum alive, keeping the education and the consistency in terms of how we communicate this is because it's not always the same people that are in the clinic all the time. Um, and it also too, speaking of the physicians, the way that they receive education is a little bit different than the way nurses and other disciplines do. We're able to easily learn an online uh, learning system to be able to give information, but a lot of times that's not always effective for physicians. So they were educated a little bit differently, and um, I think that plays into the challenges as well. We would like to turn again to our colleagues around the world and ask another question. In your response, please leave your city and country location. The question is, what challenges have you encountered while utilizing distraction-free practices, and how did you overcome them? I know you've been doing this work for a while now and are starting to think about innovation. Tell me more about that. It's been really interesting. This is this is part of our high reliability principles at Boston Children's Hospital to really utilize the distraction-free practice for patient safety. But it's really been fun to sort of think about this beyond your typical um, ways that you think about utilizing it. So we've been starting to work with some areas on utilizing lights and, util um, and having red lights be an indicator of that we're in the zone because we're trying to really think about what are other practices beyond just medication administration and heights and weights and dressing changes that we can really bring this practice to light. And I think one of the biggest areas that we're finding is when you're in a patient room in the inpatient area, that can be a huge distracting environment. You're a clinical person, you come in, the parents have a ton of questions for you. And how do you create that distraction-free environment within a within the room with the patient so you can make sure that you're providing safe care in an effective and distracted-free way? Um, so we're really starting to think about other ways. So that's some of the things that we're starting to do to um, really expand Red Zone beyond just um, at the typical sort of areas that you think you'd apply it to. Interesting. So how do the lights work? If you've ever had a, a night light that you sort of just tap on, I mean, essentially that's that's what it is. It's you just tap it on, and um, we're working with we're going to try and work with the company a little bit to see if we can um, change the technology. Because right now, if you tap it, it can be multi different colors. It would like it just to be red because mm. that's what we're ultimately looking for. Because that's really the color that signifies that you're in distraction free zone. 
Um, but it's a simple technology. You can hang it on a wall. You can magnet onto something, um, but you can also just place it on a bedside. So it's, it's mobile, which I think makes it really effective in terms of how you utilize it. And with all the different um, designs of the room, you can really take it and utilize it in any way you possibly can. This seems like uh, an initiative that you want to sustain for a really long time because it's a really a important safety initiative. How do you maintain the excitement and the interest in it? I think constant communication is really a big piece of it, is constantly getting data back to them, constantly interfacing with them and communicating with them. And just, it's almost like you have to reinvent yourself every so often to um, keep it alive and keep it exciting. This is why I think I'm so excited about the red zone light, because it sort of gives a fresh perspective on something that's so important and such a huge safety initiative that it brings it to a different light, not, you know, in, in some way, shape or form. So I think just constantly really trying to innovate and think of different ways that keeps people excited about it and keeps people in the forward momentum of understanding this is a really important safety issue and that we need to make sure that we're providing safe care for our patients. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us how Boston Children's has implemented the Red Zone. You're so welcome. It was truly a pleasure. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.